0: morning, everyone. I was wondering if we want to... I, uh, I could do the talk, or we could just get Adam to come and tell all the other dad jokes that he knows. <laughs> I'm glad you for had that um, joke book I bought you for Christmas, the good use. That's... I got a dag, dad joke of my own. Ready, friend? It's my favorite. How did the dog with no nose smell?
1: Terrible. Yeah, awful. <laughs>
0: exactly, yeah heard that one before. I like that one. That's a good one, no. Anyway, my little boy Josiah, he's, um, you know, he's tot- you've seen him, he's toddling about now, he's heckling everyone at <laughs> the front, and uh, he's got a little fascination with dogs at the moment. He's uh, He's got this little teddy, which I think he thinks is a dog, and so now whenever he sees a dog, he's like pointing, and he likes to kind of, um, if, he's, if he's on the floor, he'll like toddle over, or if I'm carrying him, he'll like, you know, be nudging me over to go and see the dog. And, um, but then what happens is he's fascinated, but then when, when he gets closer and he realizes that the dog is bigger than he realized or louder than he realized or that this one moves, unlike the, what he's got at home, he suddenly gets like a little bit startled and he might kind of turn around and kind of grab hold of your leg or like squeeze you a little bit tighter. And he's just like that like reassurance that, you know, yes, you know, it's okay. Yeah, we you know, we could see the dog. No, you know, that bark is just he's friendly and um, you know, it's safe, you can do it. And he just wants that reassurance and then he'll go over and like, you know, touch it or whatever. I know a real dog person myself, but you know, if he is then you know, try and support me in that, doesn't it? <laughs> Not that we're getting one, but he can enjoy your dogs. If I drop him round and he can now like, anyway, so for us this morning, though, I feel like in a similar way uh, that God wants to reassure us about something this morning and to assure us of something, and that is that he is with us. And God's promise that he is with us is said in all different ways uh, throughout the Bible. And it's one of the most repeated things that God says to people and to us. All the way through. And it's really important for us to hear and for us to know that, yeah, he is with us and he's saying, yes, you can do it. Yes, go on. I am with you and I'll be with you. In Isaiah 41, this is a famous one. It says, do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged uh, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand so I thought this morning we could explore this a little bit together in the different ways that God is with us. I got some stories from some dads as well to include. And it's important for us to share stories. You know, we've been doing our Moses series um, uh, recently and, you know, sharing stories about the good things that God has done for, has done for us. Um, you know, it's really important because God wants to also, the things he does in us and for us, he wants to do through us for others as well. Uh, In the Moses series, um, later on at the end of the story, I won't give a spoiler what happens, but you probably know anyway, (laughs) but God says to this, he says this to the people. He says, watch out and don't forget the things you have seen. Don't forget them as long as you live, but teach them to your children and your grandchildren. And I remember growing up, um, you know, at times at the dinner table or on long car journeys or in those moments where you'd be kind of asking for help or asking questions my parents are sharing stories from their experience from, you know, young and old uh, and really old these days um, of, <laughs> happy father's day, dad, of <laughs> um, you know, of answers to prayer and miracles and things that God has done and sharing them with us. And it, it's like an investment, you know. It, it, I, for me, you know, it puts something in you like a deposit and years later when you face something of that nature. It's like they come to the surface and you remember what God has done and who he is and that he's there and you can call on him. So it's a great thing to do. So let's get into it then. Number one, God is with us in the everyday things, in the ordinary things. Psalm 139 says, you know when I go out to work and you know when I come back home. You know everything I do. You go before me and follow me you place your hand of blessing on my head. So whether at work, when we're at school, university, or home, God knows us, he has made us, he delights in us, and he wants to be with us in the everyday things, the things that are normal to us, the things that we enjoy doing, or the things we may not enjoy doing, but we have to do anyway. Um, Eric Liddell, uh, you may have heard of, the star of um, the film Chariots of Fire was made about his life. He, was a, he won the 400 meters gold in the 1924 Olympics. And he famously says this in the film. He says, it uh, quotes him as saying, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. You know, God delights over us in the things that we do. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience before where you've got on an ordinary day and you're you know, going about your things and then suddenly you have an awareness of God's love for you, or his joy over you, or just how amazing he is. When we were at the last men's weekend, uh, me and Dowie we were chatting, and we both had a similar experience when we had dr- driven over separately. And, um, you know, we had a busy week, and suddenly we're driving out towards the Gower, and it was like you came, you know, and you come out, like, more of the city, and then suddenly you, you get... It's almost like you came over, like, a hill as you're headed out towards that, like, North Gower. And then suddenly it was like all the buildings were gone... And it was just the huge sky in front of you, and the clouds were really big, and the sun was setting. And to me, and Dowie said the same when we were chatting about it, it was like you almost felt like you had your head down all week, and then suddenly your like, eyes were open to like, the world around you, and just had like, a sudden awareness of God's presence, and that God is with us, and he's been there all week in the busyness. But it was like he was just showing himself, wow, I am amazing, and I am with you. And I don't have ever had anything like that before. But even when we're not feeling anything in particular, God is still with us in the daily things. In Philippians 4, uh, Paul, uh, who was in prison when he wrote this, he was writing to a church in Philippi to encourage the Christians there. And he said, don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Remember Sam Domina telling me once when he was uh, on a particular ward in the hospital and they need uh, a patient needed a cannula put in yeah that's the right one and uh, and um they couldn't find a vein or they couldn't get you know they were, there was veins in this person but they couldn't get one in you know so i, I think a couple of the nurses had to go and then a couple of the like more junior doctors had to go and then eventually they called Sam who's a little more experienced to come over so you know, by now, this patient's had a, a few about had a run in it, and so Sam said that he had to go, didn't get a vein, had another try, couldn't get it in, and then he said at this point, he prayed in his head and said, Lord, help me get this in, and then the next go, straight in, and the guy said to him like, wow, well done or something, and Sam said, yeah, I prayed that time, and then the patient said, well, why didn't you pray the first time? <laughs> so there we go. <laughs> There's a good friend of mine, Carl, um, who became a Christian maybe, I don't know, six or seven years ago after he got healed on a Father's Day event that we were running. And um, recently, maybe just after COVID, he was telling me how he was—he works in construction and he was working with a particular kind of group and he had a very d- difficult boss who could be quite um, like verbally abusive to the, the team and, you know, shouting at them, swearing at them. And Carl would say how you know, when it would get really bad, he would just like take himself off and go and sit in the van and just pray and just ask God to help him and to give him peace and to be with him. And that was his, you know, he didn't want to retaliate. And that was his way of like dealing with this difficult kind of work situation every day when he needs to go off to the van and just pray, God, are you with me? And then he told me how one time it was particularly bad and this time it was over the phone and you know, he was getting a real kind of, you know, when you're holding the phone over here. And um, he was like, do you know, I've, I, I can't do this anymore. Like I've had enough. So he put the phone down and uh, I think he was on the train home and he was just praying, God, you know, will you help me? I need to find a different job. You know, what am I going to do about this? It's been really tough. And then he suddenly had a thought to ring a friend of his who worked for a different company. So he gave him a, a call and said, do you know of any jobs going? And the guy said, oh yeah, my boss is As he's recruiting at the moment, I'll uh, give you his number. So he rang the boss that day, and he got a brand new job there and then. Isn't that amazing? I was in Bishop Vaughan uh, last week, uh, sorry, last month, running, um, like, these RE lessons, uh, this project. Uh, And Beth was with me, and Tino as well, and we were with the pupils all week. And in one of the lessons, um, one of the teachers was, like, really groaning and moaning, like, all the way through the lesson as she was kind of watching the pupils and things. And then afterwards, she came up to us and said, oh, sorry if I was making a bit of a noise. Um, she said, I've, I've done my back in, and I'm in so much pain. And uh, so I just said, oh, well, would you like me to pray for you? And we've met her before, so she knows who we are. i didn't have to do a long explanation, but she said, oh, yes, please. So I just simply, standing right there, kids on their way out, I said, Jesus, thank you for this teacher. Thank you that you love her. And in the name of Jesus, I command this back pain to go. Amen. And then she said, oh, thank you very much. And she had to rush straight off to her next class because they were in a different room. So we didn't get to kind of chat or anything. So I just, you know, that was it. And then we carried on with the next lessons. The pupils were coming in. So a week later, we were back in the school because we were running alpha uh, for the pupils at lunchtime there. We've had a group of 60 pupils coming along. So the first week, that was like a surprise. We weren't expecting so many. So the classroom was full and all these young people were arriving. So we had to go to a different classroom to get some chairs. And the classroom I went into to get chairs happened that this this was this teacher's classroom, and so I said, "Oh, do you mind if I grab a few chairs?" And so I picked them up, and then as I was walking out, I suddenly remembered it was the same teacher. So I just let my head back. I said, "Oh, how's your back, by the way?" And then she had a big smile on her face, and she said, "Oh, I've been meaning to thank you. It's better. Thank you." Also, you know, I can't remember exactly the words. "Thank you very much." And uh, I was like, "Oh, amazing!" But I had these pupils to go to, so I didn't have time to chat. So just ran in. But that's great, isn't it? So I was really encouraging, and it didn't like. Well, i will share that one because it's not like we've... Well, I was saying, it's not always like you feel something. You know, I didn't feel anything. She didn't feel anything. It was a busy kind of day, but God was there, and he brought healing to her back. Or this week on Thursday, I was driving to Blind Mice School to do an assembly there. And as I pulled up in the car of the other side of the road, there was a guy called Kev. And his son used to come to our youth up in Penland years ago. And um, so I'd seen Kev at some different, like, experienced Penland experiences that we'd run over the years. And one year, he asked me if I would pray for his wrists, because he's a bus driver, he does the school coaches, and he has carpal tunnel, and so, you know, it's painful all the time. And um, so, yeah, I just simply prayed for him, in the name of Jesus, wrists be healed, amen, or something like that. And when I prayed for him, again, like, I didn't feel anything, he didn't feel anything, and I didn't think anything had happened, but he was like, oh, yeah, cheers, mate. Um, and that was it. And... Um, I didn't, think he, I didn't think he'd got healed or anything. So anyway, maybe a year, 18 months later, I bumped, he came along with his uh, family to another one of our experiences. And I thought to myself, oh, I wonder if Kev would let me pray for him again. Because I didn't think he'd got healed the first time around. So I said, oh, Kev, you know, how are your wrists? Um, can I pray for you again? And he was like, oh, no, mate. Since you prayed last time, they've been brilliant. They've been fine. I was like, oh, great. And then... I bumped into him, like I said, on Thursday this week, and I haven't seen him pre-COVID, and, you know, it was maybe a couple of years before that, so we're talking maybe at least seven years It's the first time I prayed for him, and I was like, Kev, how how are your wrists? He's like, oh, yeah, they're fantastic, yeah, you know, how's the carpal tunnel? Yeah, it's brilliant, I haven't got any, it's brilliant, fantastic, so six, seven years or however long later, his wrists are still healed, that's amazing, and he's still a bus driver, so, you know, it's still, you you know what I mean, that's what causes it, isn't it, that kind of repetitive strain, so that's amazing. So God is with us in the everyday, because he loves us, because he wants to be with us, and he wants to partner with us to bring his love and his goodness and his healing and things to others around us. Now, in our um, Moses series, going back to that, we saw how Moses was rescued as a baby from Pharaoh, who had uh, ordered like the execution of all the baby boys of the Israelites, because he was afraid of their population growing, and they kept them as slaves. But then the irony is is that Moses gets rescued and he ended up being adopted by Pharaoh's own daughter and grows up in the palace. But then years later, when he's a man, one day he sees an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews and uh, in his kind of anger, I guess, or maybe run into self-defense, you don't really know, but he ends up killing this Egyptian who was beating this man. And uh, he thinks he gets away with it, but Pharaoh finds out and so he has to run away He lives in exile for another kind of 40 years or so. And then one day as he's out there kind of living a completely different life, almost out of the blue, he gets this call from God and God speaks to him. And um, this is what God says. It says, and the Lord said to him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. And so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. And so God said, you know, I'm going to come down and I'm going to rescue the, you know, your people from the Egyptians who were like the, um, the world empire at the time, the most powerful nation on the world. And, uh, you know, I'm going to come down. Look at that. I'm, I'm going to come down to rescue them. And if I was Moses, I'd be thinking, yeah go for it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'll, I'll get a bird's eye view. I'll watch you do it. That's amazing. I'll be right behind you, God. Go for it. I'm sure he wasn't expecting what God says next. God says, I'm going to come and do it. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. That's not what you said. Are you sending me? What? I thought I said you were going to do it. God, He always wants to partner with us. He wants to take us on the adventure. He wants us to experience it and to do life with Him, so we can see it, so we can experience it for ourselves, so we can be involved. It's amazing. Now, last week, Manchester City won the uh, treble. Is there any Manchester City fans in the? Uh, Joel, it's not one of the other teams you support. They're not on your list, no. <laughs> so they won the treble. It's not been done since Manchester United did it back in 1999. So it was a big deal. And, um, but there's a picture of one of their goalkeepers going around on social media. So this guy here is Scott Carson. He's the third choice goalkeeper. And uh, he's in his 40s now, I think. And he's in the squad, but he never, he never plays. So I think this year he played 10 minutes at the end of a match that they'd kind of already won, and it didn't really matter. Now, effectively, he's one of the coaches, and I think he like, helps with the youngsters, and the manager talks So he's got a real good influence on the youngsters, and that's kind of the role he plays in the team. But the reason he's in the playing squad, so the rumors are, is that there's a quota of, you know, English teams have to have so many English players in the team. And so he's a, an, you know, he's English, and so by keeping him in the squad, it allows them to kind of fulfill their quota. So in some respects, he's like making up the numbers, do you know what I mean? Now, you know, in reality, for a fourth year, you know, they, normally he'd be retired by now. So it's amazing for him, do you know what I mean? He gets to travel with the team, he supports the youngsters, he's part of the squad. So I don't uh, like have a go in that kind of way. But at the same time, like he doesn't really play. But when the team wins, he gets a medal too, okay? So... But if you ask any footballer, if your team was like to win the Champions League or the World Cup, and you could either be like part of the squad, but never play and kind of make up the numbers, or you could actually be on the pitch and be in the team. Like there's no choice, is it? Every footballer like wants to play. They want to be on the pitch. And for us, like God, he wants us to play. There's room on the pitch. He's, he doesn't just want us to like make up the squad numbers. He picks us for the team. He's got a purpose for us. And it's a unique purpose for every single one of us because, you know, only you live on your street or in your family or in your workplace or sit at your desk or sit next to the person next to you at school. You know, I, I can't, I don't sit there or, you know, another person doesn't sit there. It's you that sits there. It's you that lives there. It's you that knows those people. And God has picked you and chosen you and equipped you and sent you to play and to join in and to have a part. Isn't that amazing that we all get to join in and we all get a medal as well at the end because we've all done it for real. Now, um, Moses, when he hears this from God, he says, he protests, he says, but Moses protested to God. I'm not a great man. How can I go to the king and lead the Israelites out of Egypt? And it's a good question. Like, I'm an ordinary guy. And, you know, he knows this is going to be easy. He's powerless compared to Pharaoh, but then this is God's answer. It says, God replied, I will be with you. And God is with us in the everyday things, the easy things and the challenging things. This brings us to number two. It's a short one, don't worry. <laughs> God's with us in the everyday and he's with us in the extreme things or the extraordinary things. It says this next, in Psalm 139, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I go down to the depths, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwelt by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. There's a couple of church leaders, Bill and Ellen, that you may have seen them if you were volunteering at the conference last week, or you we may have come across them. They lead a church in Tlenethley and they joining with New Camry, Cymru, and I was chatting with both of them a few weeks ago, and they were telling me a story about their son, James, who's a videographer, and uh, his company's called Paisley Productions, and he's a bit of an adventure as well. And I got in touch with him this week, and he sent me one of his stories. This, this is Bill said. Bill showed me this on his phone. He said, this is like a typical WhatsApp uh, message they get on their family, like WhatsApp album uh, from their son, because um, he just like sometimes randomly gets like flown out to these different places to, you know, film things or, you know, to record stuff and to produce videos. Um, so imagine, you know, we get texts like, uh, well, anyway, but my sister Rachel's a bit like this. She's in London, she's like spotting famous people all the time and you know, sending us her selfies with famous people, but ours are pretty standard. Um, you know, I just, I don't know, Josiah kind of covering himself in food again. Anyway, I'm getting distracted. So they were telling me this story, and he sent a, a, kind of, he'd written a blog about it, he sent it to me as well. The one time, one of his friends who, like, runs tours to climb Mount Everest, uh, or a guy they know, said, I wanted to come and film, like, a promotional video for me. And so they flew him out to Nepal, and um, he had to trek to base camp with, like, a little team. Now, it sounds like base camps, it doesn't sound very high, is it? But when I was looking it up, that's still 17,500 feet, or three and a half miles in the air, so... It's massive, isn't it? Um, So anyway, he's trekking on this. It takes, I don't know, like a week or something to trek to base camp from where they were. And he was saying that each night he was getting these headaches. But, you know, he'd just kind of take paracetamol or whatever, and then he'd seem okay the next day. But he said when they arrived at base camp, they were taking a group shot. So this is him down the front with the thumbs up and the blue top. And he said it took him like 10 attempts to do this group shot because he would set it up to go. But then he like couldn't get to the, he kept stumbling and falling over and he was like, you know, something he does all the time, he just kind of couldn't do it. And he said that one of the local guides, one of the Nepalese men was like kind of keeping an eye on him and kind of noticed this. And then the next morning when they all kind of got out of their like campsite, whatever, he was really wobbly. And he said, one of the local guides just said to him, we've got to get you down the mountain right now. Drop your pack. Let's go. And so he and another climber, who happened to be a nurse, they grabbed him a shoulder each and began to walk him down the mountain. And basically, he was suffering from high-altitude cerebral edema. Is that right? Um, where the brain isn't getting enough oxygen, and so the body's pumping more and more blood to the brain, and it creates, like, a huge pressure. And if it's kind of untreated, then you go into a coma, and then after that, kind of, is pretty severe. So at this point, they're at eight, uh, an eight-hour walk from the hospital, and so they said, you know, they're walking him down, and he said he's, like, stumbling along, and he begins to, like, s- his speech is slurred, and he's trying to make sense. He said he can see can. Cons- their concern on their faces. And he said, suddenly, he said, uh, a wave of fear kind of came over him as he kind of realized like, oh my days, this is like not good. Um, And that he could be like losing it. But he said, with that then, he suddenly got this thought. Uh, It's a verse from 2 Timothy where it says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And he just starts to pray this over his mind, just repeating it to himself, praying it, praying for his mind, praying that he wouldn't give in to fear, praying he'd maintain clarity and focus, so he'd be able to get down the mountain. And then he writes this in a little blog where he says, another hour or so passes, and Simon, who is the nurse, says to him, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. And so I do. I repeat over and over again, for God did not give me a spirit of fear, but of one of power and love and sound mind. And it's working. My mind is clear. I'm not afraid, but I'm absolutely shattered. I have to stop every 10 to 20 minutes for a break. Jimmy and Simon, they sit me on a rock so I can catch my breath, but they both jump forward and catch me. I've just fallen off the rock and I've smashed my sunglasses and the guy's faces get even more tense. This is really bad. So he says, he just, as he's going through this, he just, hour after hour, he's just keep focusing on Jesus, keep praying, help me, keep my mind clear, and eventually he makes it, they're eight hours to the hospital, and they put that, you know, and they do your oxygen level with the thing on your finger, and his oxygen level's at 59%, so I asked Precious about that yesterday, and she was like, what? <laughs> so um, they get him on oxygen, he's on oxygen for like 15 hours, and amazingly, he makes it through. The next morning, the doctor says to him that when he arrived, he said, you're probably like 20 to 30 minutes from going into a coma. And like after that, you know, it's like less than 50-50. But the doctor said, what surprised him was that when he arrived, like how lucid he was and how with it he was, how clear he was in his mind. And he's like, normally, you know, you should just be really confused and disorientated and not knowing what's going on, but how he had like that clear mind and thinking. So James says this, he sent the next day, I spend the afternoon walking with Simon, who tells me how bad I was coming down the mountain. He looks at me with all seriousness and says, I don't know how you did it. I thought you were gonna die up there. My trip to Everest Base Camp was amazing on so many levels. First of all, being able to go to a place like that and do what I love, photography is unbelievable. Then getting to meet all of these awesome people on the team was amazing. I know sometimes things can get out of control and feel like it's all going wrong, but I believe this scripture with all my heart This is it, and we know that God works all the things. God works all all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. God is faithful, and I want to thank all of you who prayed for me while I was in Nepal. So that's a pretty extreme story, isn't it? I don't think I've got really anything that compares to that. I mean, Simon took me on a torrential rain walk-up Pennavan once when I was about 14, where I wasn't sure if I was going to make it. Well, still, it's not quite the same. Evie, you get lovely weather when you go uh, mountaineering with uh, your dad. Not when I went. Anyway, um, the one thing I could relate to is this little part where he says how a wave of fear came over him. And I've experienced that, you know, on a couple of occasions where, you know, you face for something or you get some bad news and you just get this kind of wave that almost hits you. But it's in those moments where we look to Jesus, we know what he has done, we know who he is, and we know that he is with us. And we allow his peace and his strength, almost like the, the guide and the nurse who grabbed James by the shoulders and walked him down. It's almost like we allow his peace and his strength to grab hold of us, and to walk us forward and to see us through. The next part of that verse I read earlier says this, when we pray about everything, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus, because he is with us. The night that Jesus was arrested, he was taken to the house of the high priest, and there was uh, kind of two at once because of a political, you know, it was like our 10 downing street. And it was all kicking off. We had Annas and Caiaphas. But fortunately for them, they were uh, Annas was Caiaphas's father-in-law. So they were on good terms. Anyway, it says this, Then seizing him, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. And for the Jews, the high priest was like the religious and political ruler. And Josephus, who was a historian, a Roman Jewish historian, He talks about Caiaphas and says how his name was Joseph Caiaphas. That was his full name. And in 1990, some construction workers were working in the south of Jerusalem, and they unearthed, accidentally, an old family tomb. And when these archaeologists came, on the inside, they they found these things called osheries. And this is where, this is what the wealthy would do. They would bury someone. And then years later, or, or, well, I'm not sure how long, but later when the body decomposed, they would come and they'd collect the bones and they'd put them in these boxes and they would like rebury the boxes and it kind of saved space. And they was like, had a second burial, but it was something that they were, like the most well-off tended to do. And they had all of these different ones in there. So it looked like maybe a family tomb. And then one of them, which was the most like elaborate of them all, had this inscription on it, Joseph Caiaphas and they found that there was the bones there of around of a six-year-old man, and they knew that these had been buried between 43 AD and 70 AD, so basically like within a 30-year period after Jesus was on the earth. So this, this would be, you know, the Joseph Caiaphas who Jesus came face to face with, so they found it. And they also found, they've also found these two or three houses or mansions which are they seem to be mansions that the high priests had or used. And they don't know exactly like which one was Caiaphas's, but there's three different ones. And there's inscriptions or things inside which show that this is likely to be a high priest's mansion. And in one of them, in the kind of main room, or this like big room, there's a a pit or there's a hole in the middle of the floor and it goes down to a dungeon underneath. And when Jesus was taken to the high priest's house, on that night was when he was falsely accused and put on this kind of trial and he was condemned to death and then he was mocked and he was beaten by the guards. But it wasn't until the next morning that he was taken to Pilate, the Roman governor, who was the one who could actually sentence him to death. So it says early early the next morning, all the leading priests and elders of the people decided to kill Jesus. They tied him up, led him away and turned him over to Pilate, the governor. And the first time I realized this, it dawned on me that Jesus spends the night probably alone, locked up in a dungeon or a prison, possibly in pitch darkness, knowing like what's ahead of him the next day. And for us, when we think of that, we know Jesus, you know, he could have got out of it, but he showed courage because of his love for us, And he went through it and he came through the other side, as we know, in victory. And so for us, when we have moments where we're facing a situation that sometimes is one that we know we just have to endure, it's a bit of a journey or a process and we've got to persist or we've got to go through it and we've got to get to the other side. In those moments, we can be certain that Jesus is with us and has power to help us because he's been there himself. He's been there and he knows what that's like and he's come through. The psalm says, if I go down to the depths, you are there. Even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. He is there. And ultimately, Jesus went all the way to the cross where he died for us, all the way. And he came back to life again, conquering death, conquering the worst, overcoming the worst of what our world could throw at him or what any of us will ever experience and winning for us eternal life. And Jesus is alive and he is with us and he is with you. And he is with us for number three, for eternity, for all eternity. That's what he's won for us. It's been really interesting. Being in the schools recently, in the secondary schools, when we've been doing Alpha and other things, the young people are asking questions about like, why am I here? Is there more, like the classic Alpha ones, but this coming out of their minds, is there more to life than this? What's my purpose? Is there life after death? What happens when I die? Why do people die? And these are the questions they're asking. And Jesus wants us to be assured and confident that we have a place in eternity, that when we welcome him into our lives, he forgives us for the things we've done wrong. He makes our spirits alive to God and he promises us eternity, that we will be raised to life just like he was and have eternity. John, who was one of Jesus' friends, who, he wrote a letter to some Christians to encourage them and he said, "'I write these things to you "'who believe in the name of the Son of God "'so that you may know that you have eternal life.'" And Jesus gives us amazing, this amazing promise, which is certain and sure. And so as we go through things, we can know what is ahead of us. And that's why we can go through this life with a peace because we know what Jesus promises ahead. He's with us now and he's with us forever. And this brings me to the last thing that God is with us, with and for, and that's enjoyment. God enjoys being with us. He is with us, not because he has to be, because he wants to be. Now, Chloe, my sister, she's turning 30 this week, and um, she was actually born on Father's Day. And uh, I remember years later, we ran the dinner table, on Chloe's movie, I don't know, five, six, or seven, and we would chat about how she had been born on Father's Day. And Chloe looked up to my dad, and she said, oh, so, Dad, you didn't get any Father day, Father's Day presents on that, uh, on that day. And my dad looked at Chloe and said, Chloe you were my Father's Day present. Isn't that nice? (laughs) But in a similar way, that's why she's the favorite. Anyway. (laughs) In a similar way, God wants us to be in his family. God wants us to be in his family. He wanted you and he chose you because he loves you. You're like a Father's Day present to God. In Ephesians, it says this, even before he made the world, God loved us, and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. And so today, for every single one of us, we can be confident as we go forward that God loves you, that God is with us, and then we have this open invitation into his family because he wants us to be with him. And so, dads, parents, each one of us, let's go forward knowing that and let's share our stories because it's not just for us, but it's for our friends, our family, our city, and our world. So, let's share them time and time and time again so that others can experience it too. So, why don't I now pray. Father God, I thank you that you are with us. You are with us in the everyday and you are with us in the extremes of life. You are with us for all eternity and you are with us because you want to be, because you enjoy being with us. And I pray and ask, would you come and fill us again right now with your Holy Spirit that we would know your presence with us today, that we would know you with us right now And if anything that I've shared has been particularly relevant to you, I just invite you now just to say, Jesus, come and fill me with your Holy Spirit now. And I'm just going to pray for you that you would know his strength and his peace with you. Just like the story I shared, Lord, I pray, would you come and fill our hearts right now with your peace and your strength and your love. I thank you that your power and your grace is with us. And if there's anyone watching or here and You've been listening to that and you think, do you know what? I don't know if I've actually kind of, as I said there, who've just, um, where we have chosen to accept Jesus and to believe in him. And you think, I want these promises for myself and for my own life. Then I just want to lead you in a prayer where you can say yes to them for yourself. You can say, Jesus, thank you that you gave your life for me, that you died for me, and that you came back to life. Will you forgive me for the things I've done wrong? Will you come into my life now and help me to live for you and to know you? I thank you, you promise to be with me now and for all eternity. In your name, amen.